Amen. Right, so keep a finger in Proverbs 11. We're going to be returning there, but turn um, over to Ephesians chapter 6, please. So if you turn to Ephesians 6, but keep a finger in Proverbs chapter 11, or maybe a bulletin or something. Uh, We're continuing our Sunday evening series called The Whole Armour of God. And we spent a long time last week in Ephesians 6. Um, Ephesians 6, which reads from verse 10. So Ephesians 6, 10, which says, Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And we talked about how our enemy, along with his army of devils, uses wiles and tricks, traps, snares or other words for that. Cunning strategies to make us fall. But we want to stand and we do that by putting on the whole armour of God. Yeah, it's the power of his might that we're only going to be able to stand in. Verse 12 says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And for me, that's the big guns that we wrestle with, the elite devils. The lower level ones are kind of down at the psychic fairs, at the yoga classes and all that sort of stuff, aren't they? We've got the big bosses to deal with because... The real, ba- the real battle in this nation is for people's souls, isn't it? And look, I, I appreciate that there is a lot of propaganda out there, okay? And I'm not saying that there's, there's no devilry behind that. There's obviously a lot of wickedness in high p- ends of kind of influence in this nation as well. But look, there's a real sp- spiritual battle going on in our lives, everyone here, because we're on the front line. If you're going out and you're preaching the gospel, you're going out and you're... You know, you're, you're going out in the highways and hedges, you're knocking on the doors, you're out preaching the gospel, you're on the front line of the spiritual battle. Yeah, you're actively getting people saved. And yeah, there's going to be sort of propaganda out there to try and poison the masses and, and pull them away from even seeking the Lord. But we're going out and we're knocking on doors, we're preaching the gospel. And that, that's, that means that you're on the front line. He says uh, in verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And we need to do all to stand, okay? It's not just bits and pieces of the armour. Because there'll be parts of this kind of list of armour which maybe you think, yeah, I've got that bit all right, or maybe I'll be able to stand. No, he said, you need to, you need to have done all. You need to take under you the whole armour of God, having done all to stand. It's not just the shiny bits, the coolest bits, it's the whole armour of God. He said in verse 14, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, And having on the breastplate of righteousness. And last week we looked at the belt. We looked at what we just shortened and simplified it to the belt. Uh, We looked at having basically being surrounded, immersed in the truth. Okay, and that comes from what we what what we surround ourselves in. That comes from obviously the word of God. It comes from being in the house of God. Yeah. Today we're going to focus on the breastplate. So the title of my sermon today is The Whole Armour of God. Number two, the breastplate. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for, well, this, not just this great chapter, so many great chapters in the word of God that help us with this topic here about what is that breastplate of righteousness, Lord. Help me to, to, to really edify the room here, to encourage people to put on that breastplate, to keep it on, Lord. Help, help me to explain what that is, what it isn't, Lord. Help everyone to have attentive ears. Fill me with your spirit, please. Help me to preach accurately and boldly. Help me to preach exactly what your word says, Lord. Help me to preach what you'd want me to, to preach, Lord. In Jesus' name, pray all of this. Amen. What is a breastplate? Well, it's a piece of armour that protects your upper body. You know, it's a, probably unsurprisingly to most of you. It's usually covering your front and back, though. Although some apply it to just 
the piece covering the breast. So there's different sort of, you know, if you look, if you look at just sort of what the breastplate is, some would apply it to this whole area covering everything, and some would apply it to literally the plate over your, your breast on both sides, usually here. As I said last week, the soldiers and armour that Paul is using as a picture is, is most likely the Roman soldier, okay? This was sort of the common soldier. This is what you would have seen most of in all these occupied nations who had a few different styles of armour over the years. So there was a, the Lorica Squamata, and uh, apologies if I pronounce these wrong, which was a sort of scale-type armour. Okay, so this was sort of, it looked like little scales, little just overlapping bits. Um, and this seemed to be a bit probably, I think, more common later in the kind of uh, Roman Empire. You had the Lorica Hamata, which was a basically chainmail chain type of armour. And I think most people probably know what I mean by chainmail. There were just lots of linked chains. Um, and, and for me, though, Paul is picturing either something called the Lorica Segmentata, which, um, you know, I think... I'll explain it in a second, actually. But or perhaps so between either the Lorica segmentata or perhaps the, the classic bronze or iron cuirasses worn by the officers. You probably know what I mean. The ones resembling a torso. So obviously, in some of the movies, you might have seen they've literally got like chiselled six packs and stuff. And I don't think they were probably as ridiculous as that. But they were shaped to the body, and I think officers often wore these sorts of things as well. So they were like a one piece of metal, um, and they were made often of bronze or iron. Now. These are both more fitting with the word breastplate as opposed to a shirt of chainmail or scale armour, okay, for me. Now, this is what Wikipedia says about it, and I, I've looked at a few different articles, I thought this was a good summary. It said, not all, all troops wore torso armour. And by the way, with this sort of thing, remember that a lot of this is, is based on pictures, engravings that they found, things that have been dug up over the time and that's what some of the names come from as well sometimes some of the names of some of the bits and pieces they found have come from the area it's been dug up okay so some of this is is quite sort of subjective as well and different people have different opinions on what was worn in different periods based on the, the history that they're going to trust on this okay and I, i've looked at a few things and and you know I, i'm no historian but this this for me is is seems fairly accurate and um and obviously it's not not kind of a deal breaker on this sermon either way but it says here not not all troops wore torso armor light infantry especially in the early republic wore little or no armor this was both to allow swifter movement for light troops but what do you think the real reason was and also as a matter of cost okay it was a matter of cost sadly that a lot of people a lot of troops a lot of the the light troops didn't even have armour, really, because it was cheaper for them not to. And it doesn't really say much about the value they had, does it? Legionary soldiers of the 1st and 2nd centuries used a variety of armour types. Some wore male shirts, while others wore scale armour or lorica segmentata, uh, also known as laminated strip curus, OK? And this is what I'm talking about. And basically, this was kind of strips of metal overlapping each other. Okay, and it was usually again on the upper torso and you'd have strips and, and the angle of them would change as you went over the arm and shoulder and then they'd go crossways on this part of your body. Um, and this last type, this, this Lorica segmentata, was a complete complex sorry, piece of armour which in certain circumstances provided superior protection to the other types of Roman armour. Male armour, Lorica hamata, and scale armour, Lorica squamata, being the other types, the main types. The testing of modern replicas, so people replicate, there are some people who are obsessed with this stuff, okay? They like dress up as Roman soldiers and go and meet each other and have mock battles and stuff. <laughs> 
Oh, I suppose it could be worse, couldn't it? But uh, the testing of modern replicas has demonstrated that this kind of armour was impenetrable to most direct hits and missile strikes. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It was, however, uncomfortable without padding. Reenactors have confirmed that wearing a padded undergarment known as a submarilis relieves the wearer from bruising both from prolonged wear and from shock produced by weapon blows against the armour. So you can imagine just because you've got something that protects you, if it's a heavy bit of weapon hitting you, you're going to get a bit of shock in the body from that, aren't you? It was also expensive to produce and difficult to maintain. So often this is what it comes down to. I remember like a lot of articles as growing up used to be interested in this stuff with the military where they're just kind of, they weren't even providing them with sort of certain basic equipment, really just for cost. And it really does say, doesn't it, a lot about really how little these people are valued. Yeah, they can give it all the old poppies and, you know, proud of the British troops and everything else, but the people sending them out don't seem to have much, much real care and consideration for them, do they? Um, it says it was also expensive to produce and difficult to maintain. In the third century, and obviously we're much earlier than the third century AD here, the segmentata appears to have been dropped and troops are depicted wearing male armour, mainly of scale, the standard armour of the second century auxilia. But we're concerned with the first century, and this Lorica segmentata sounded like some good armour, didn't it? There was a part of it that specifically covered the breast, but the whole thing sounds pretty good to me for what we're talking about here. So there was a part of that segmentata, because it was in segments which literally covered just the breast area. It said the testing of modern replicas has demonstrated that this kind of armour was in impenetrable to most direct hits and missile strikes. That's some good armour, isn't it? Yeah, if I, if I was fighting in, you know, around the first century AD and I, and I was involved with the Roman army, I'd probably quite like some Lorica Segmentata. I'd hope everyone else would as well. I'd opt for that above the, the more mobile no armour, or, or uh, sorry, cost-efficient no armour. Um, and you, you would think, look, if you, had a, if you had access to this, you'd be mad to go into battle without it, wouldn't you? I think you'd probably be pretty crazy if you had someone had look this lovely shiny bit of Lorica segmentata that you could put on. You wouldn't really choose not to, would you? I mean, especially if I mean we're not talking about movie warfare here. We're just talking about you know not to be too graphic. We're talking about limbs and all sorts going. Just just it must have been pretty horrific, right? Okay, and you probably want the best army you could get, wouldn't you? And you know what we don't have? We don't have a penny-pinching boss. Did you know that? You know when you, when you started getting involved with God's army and you said, yeah, I'm going to get on the front line, I'm going to start fighting for you, Lord. You know he's not a penny-pincher. You know he's not trying to give you the cheap stuff. So, oh, well, it's a bit, bit dear for me, that, that breastplate of righteousness. No, he wants you to have the best stuff, okay? And he offers us the best stuff. Go back to Proverbs 11. And our spiritual armour, our breastplate, is righteousness, isn't it? But... but there are two different types of righteousness that need explaining, okay? We, we need to kind of cover this quickly. There are two types of righteousness in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 11, where we start in verse 4, says this, Proverbs 11, 4, Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. So there's a righteousness that delivers us, for me, from eternal death, but it's not our own righteousness, Okay, your own righteousness isn't delivering you from eternal hell. Turn to Romans chapter 3. When it comes to delivering us from hell, and we're going to come back to Proverbs 11, so sorry, keep a finger there, but turn to Romans 3. When it comes to delivering us from hell, Isaiah 64, 6, where you're turning to Romans 3, says, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. 
So our righteousnesses, your own righteousnesses are as filthy rags when it comes to salvation, okay? You ain't getting yourself saved. Your own righteousness ain't getting you nowhere when it comes to saving you from hell. Romans 3 shows us whose righteousness delivers us from eternal death. Romans 3, and we're going to look from verse 20. Romans 3:20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is a knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God again past here means ended by the way it's not talking about oh your, your, your old sins past is ended okay the, the remission of sins that are ending verse 26 says to declare I say at this time his righteousness that he might be just and a justifier of him which believeth in Jesus okay there's only one type of righteousness which is getting you saved and that's Jesus Christ's righteousness, which is imputed unto you by faith in Jesus Christ. In case you're wondering, by the way, let's just go over to Romans 4 while we're there, which confirms that it is all sins and it's the faith which makes us righteous in God's eyes. Because some will say, oh yeah, yeah, that was my past sins, but now I've got to live a perfect life. No one, no one lives a perfect life. It's complete nonsense. And there is no line to put on it. All sins, past, present and future, are washed away by Jesus Christ's blood. And it, all it takes is putting your faith in that to be saved. And we'll just look at quickly Romans 4 from verse 1, which says, what shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it, that's a belief in God, was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, Okay, this is someone, theoretically, that worketh not, that does nothing good at all, doesn't follow the, the teachings of God, doesn't follow the commandments, is some wicked sinner, for all intensive purposes here, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, who's that, Jesus Christ, his faith is counted for righteousness. Okay, it's under this, oh, well, you know, if I'm saved, I wouldn't do this, I wouldn't do that. No, to him that worketh not does no good works of the law at all, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Ah, you're just giving everyone a green card to go and sin and do what they want. No, because I don't want to get whipped by God in life. And it's a funny thing, isn't it? That when you look around at all of these work salvation churches, all these churches that are like, oh, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to at least keep behaving. Oh, you've got to, you know, oh, I wouldn't do this, I wouldn't do that. Most of them aren't living at all righteously. And, 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 and look, I'm not saying, look, everyone here, everyone here sins, okay? Everyone's a sinner, okay? All have sinned. There's not a just man, yeah, that, that doeth good and sinneth not. However, however, 
look, I, I see a big difference when I, go, when I used to, especially going to some of these churches and try and find a good church. And so often there's so much wickedness going on. Yet these are people, you knock on their door and they're going to you, oh, no, I'm, go, you know, I'm such a good person. You know, what are you talking about? It's crazy, is it? So, so the, the wrong way around. Go back to Psalm 7. It's God's righteousness imputed unto us by faith in Christ that delivers us from hell, isn't it? Okay, it's God's righteousness. And that's imputed unto us by faith in Christ. Now, in the Bible, there's this kind of righteousness, okay? With the saved often being called the righteous. And then there's also a righteousness that we should try to achieve. Okay, now this is the second type of righteousness that we should aspire towards in our daily lives. Yes, we should aspire towards righteousness, shouldn't we? We should try and be righteous, but it ain't getting you to heaven. And if you think it is getting you to heaven, then you don't have faith in Jesus Christ because it's one or the other, isn't it? This second type obviously isn't getting you to heaven, but it does make a big difference to your short life here on earth. Okay, so look, yeah, we preach grace through faith. We preach the gospel clearly that it's not of works that any man should boast. However, if you're saved, we preach hard in this church that you need to live a righteous life, right? Psalm 7 and verse 8 says this. Psalm 7 and verse 8 says, The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. So the psalmist is asked to be judged by God according to his own righteousness and integrity, right? Yeah, no one, everyone can see that there clearly, right? He says, Oh, let the wickedness of the, of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous God trieth the hearts and reins. So this isn't just an exterior righteousness either, is it? He's talking about the hearts and the reins. This is like the inner feelings, yeah? My defence is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. Now, this isn't salvation. This is a protection that comes from being righteous, being upright in heart. The context in verse 1 is being saved from persecution. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about salvation. Verse 11 says, God judgeth the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. God judges his people. No, we're not talking about the, judge, the great white throne of judgment. Okay, We're talking about a, a daily thing, a daily judgment that comes from our Father in heaven who judges what he even judges, the inward heart. Yeah, he judges you. But it's, this isn't talking about salvation. Okay, this is talking about your daily walk with the Lord. David wants his righteousness judged to then receive protection from God, doesn't he? David being the psalmist here. And, and this is the kind of righteousness that acts as a breastplate. This is the type of righteousness that we're talking about in Ephesians chapter 6. And of course you need the eternal righteousness to start with, okay? But Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus, to believers, Okay, that's who he's talking to when he's saying, put on that breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians 6.10 said, finally, my brethren, my brethren, okay? He's talking to brothers in Christ. And he's also talking to sisters in Christ as well. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And you're not brethren, you're not in the Lord in the first place without being saved, okay? Now, just a quick, I just want to do a quick, um, just go slightly off topic for a second, just while we're talking about brethren here and brothers, because it's something I've been wanting to kind of mention with the church anyway. So, we're all brothers and, and, and sisters here, okay? If you're saved, if you're a believer, you're a brother and sister in Christ. Okay, and some people, and, and for good reason, will choose to call each other brother and sister, right? Okay, however, it's not a rule of the church, okay? And I want to get this really clear, because... When we started this church, 
there were people that hadn't been in a church like this. And then we had some wicked people as well that came into a church like this and kind of put this burden on everyone. Well, I, the first sermon I ever preached, I had one of these guys come up to me and start saying, you better be careful, you call everyone brother and sister because our pastor really, really, you know, he's really, this is a, a, a former Italian member of ours, yeah, and, and telling us that you've got to, you know, you better. And, and I was like, whoa. And, and our pastor doesn't care about that. Okay, and look, you are welcome to call each other by each other's first names. Because then there's like almost this fear where everyone, like in every message and every way they talk to each other, it's like, I, I, if I don't say brother, I better say like, you know, brother something or brother. It's like, it, it's not a rule. Yeah, read the Bible and you see Paul talking, constantly talking about people as Timothy, as Titus, you know, as Tychicus, as Gaius, mine host. He doesn't go brother this, brother that. Look. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and by the way, I, I, I encourage it amongst my children. Okay, And I've heard preaching on this before, and I think that's a good thing. And to encourage that respect for each other, there's nothing wrong if you want to call each other brother, this and sister, that. Okay, I'm not saying don't do that. But what I'm saying is, because I've started, if you've noticed, just making a point of not always doing it, because it just became this kind of weird, like, where no one could, and then people comes into the church, and all you hear is like everyone like, oh, brother, this, this, that, and they're just like, this is a bit weird, this is a bit cultish. We're not America here. We don't have independent Baptist churches on every corner. People aren't used to this. You go to most Baptist churches in this country, they, they, they'll never call, well, they're not brothers and sisters anyway, because most of them aren't saved. They'll believe in work salvation. Point being, if you want to call each other brother and sister, great. Now, there's a slight difference. If you're talking to someone who has an ordained position in the church, there's an ordained title for them okay so what was funny is we had this previous group of people that were so hot on the brother and sister to everyone apart from to me <laughs> which was bizarre because like when you're when you're talking to an evangelist or a deacon yeah the title is brother and by the way it's not bro so then you had other people who would come in and it was like they would just keep calling you bro and it's like that's not the point the bro with a dot yeah it's just short for brother, yeah, like Mr. Short for Miss, MR dot is short for me. It's not like just call someone Moose, Moo, Moo, hey, Moo, you know, that would be rude, wouldn't it, you know? So we had this, we had one of these guys here who were like, <laughs> this big point to everyone and brother, oh, brother, Alex, brother, brother, Ian, or mate, uh, can you, <laughs> and it's like, come on, yeah, and look, I, I'm not puffed up, I don't really care. However, it's probably a good habit for you to get into. I'm either brother Ian or brother Taverner because eventually I'm going to be past the Taverner here. Okay, so it's probably a good, good thing to get into. And that's just, that's, you know, it's getting used to actually having a term for leadership and getting used to leadership. But amongst each other, it's up to you. Yeah, and if you want to encourage your kids to, to do that, I think that's probably a good idea. Yeah, it shows some respect for adults. If you want to call each other by their first name, sometimes it's kind of a, maybe a bit less formal as well. And it can be quite nice sometimes, isn't it? You know, and sometimes you might not, look, it's up to you. But, because someone did ask me, because then they were thinking, oh, is there a problem why, and, you know, I'm not having a go at the person. They were like, is there, why are you not calling me that? Because it got to this point where everyone in the church, everything was brother, sister, brother, sister. And then it's like, whoa, and look, I don't care what kind of weird cults do and everything else. I'm not fussed, okay? And you go to other churches and people will call each other by their names as well. Especially if you see each other every day or every, you know, every week, sorry. Point being, it's up to you, okay? There's no rule, there's no biblical. We're a Bi are we a Bible believing church or not? And so, look, are we a Bible believing church, yeah? Yeah, we're a Bible believing church. Does the Bible say you must call anyone that, that is a brother in Christ by brother before their name? No. Now, some traditions of men are good. For example, the Bible doesn't say you have to call an evangelist brother. The Bible doesn't actually say you have to call the leader of a church pastor. But some of those traditions, I think, are good things, okay? And we follow that as one of the rules in the church. You can call that a rule. However, with each other, no, it's up to you what you want to call each other, okay? Okay. Let's keep going. <laughs> so with that in mind, because it became this burden, doesn't it? It becomes almost this chain about your neck. 
And every message is like, you know, I better put a brother in there or sister or something. It just becomes weird, yeah? Okay, so the, the breastplate of righteousness is the second type of righteousness, okay? The righteousness that we can put on or put off. You can't put on your righteousness, or, sorry, you can't put off your righteousness in Christ, can you? Once you put it on, it ain't coming off. Okay, that, that, that eternal righteousness, that's done when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, okay? Otherwise, it's your works if you still have to do something to keep it. However, this second type, this breastplate of righteousness, you can put it on and you can put it off. Yeah, he told, you, he told them to put it on. Now, go back to Proverbs 11 and verse 4, which we looked at, which for me is talking about the first kind of righteousness, okay? Proverbs 11, 4, which says... Riches profit not in the day of wrath. Okay, what's the day of wrath, by the way? Well, this is referring to the second coming of Christ when riches profit not, okay? He said, but righteousness delivereth from death. So it doesn't matter what you have, okay? It doesn't matter if you've just rejected all those Christians and that annoying, you know, soul winning and everything else to be able to buy and sell. To take that mark, you're like, I'm not interested in what that family member said. I need that mark. I need my riches and everything else. Look, those riches ain't going to profit you nothing in a day of wrath. Okay, none of that's going to profit you. Turn to Zephaniah 1. And again, keep a finger there. Turn to Zephaniah 1. The only thing that's delivering you is if you put your faith in Christ. We just read, riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. Okay, that for me is talking about the eternal salvation, eternal death. Zephaniah 1, okay, we're turning to, like I said, the only thing that's delivering you is faith in Christ, okay? And, and if you have your faith in Christ, you're not going to be taking any mark, are you, to then be able to keep your riches or trade your riches or whatever it is. Zephaniah 1 and verse 14 says, The great day of the Lord is near, it is near, and hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. This is Zephaniah 1 and we're on to verse 15. That day, okay, this is that great day of the Lord, that day is a day of wrath. It's a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood shall be poured out as dust and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. That's the day of wrath, okay? The prophecy really being fulfilled in the coming end times, yeah? And only faith in Christ is delivering you. That's the only thing delivering you, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, we're in a spiritual battle and we may have to wait a while yet for that full air support to come in, okay? Look, we're in the battle, we're on the front line, and we've got to wait a while for the air support. So we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness to be able to stand strong. Okay, you're on the front line, you're in the battle. He's not coming just yet, so in the look, he's not coming at any time, okay? okay? Look, you need, you need to have some, some armour on, okay? You've got, you got to keep going, you've got to survive, you've got to stand strong. So what is it? What is it then? Is righteousness just being good? Just being honest. Well, good is subjective, isn't it? And honesty is only a part of it. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. How do we define righteousness? 
Well, will you turn to Deuteronomy 6? I'm going to read Psalm 119 and verse 172. 119 and verse 172, which says, My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. All, all thy commandments are righteousness. The commandments of God, that's the righteousness. But he said all thy commandments, even those ones you don't like very much. Yeah, all thy commandments are righteousness. Deuteronomy 6 says, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do some, no, all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. And unlike the Calvinists, we believe that all means all. Fancy that. However, certain things are done away with in the New Testament, as we know, but, but God's moral law isn't, is it? God's morals haven't changed. Okay? God's morality hasn't shifted with time. I think I said this a few weeks ago. It wasn't like, oh, now God's seen enough, you know, Steven Spielberg movies and Harvey Weinstein and the rest of the Wicked Bunch that now he's kind of shifted his views a little bit on some things and he realised he was a bit uptight before. No, no, God doesn't change. God, God's, God's morals have, have, have stayed the same from beginning to end. Yeah, he changeth not. Okay? So that hasn't changed. And it said all these statutes. It said all these commandments. That's why 2 Timothy 3.16, you don't have to turn it, says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture is given and... Let's fast forward to the end of the verse, for instruction in righteousness. Okay, that's where the righteousness comes from. That's the righteousness we're talking about here. We're talking about the righteousness that you can put on and put off. You want to put that breastplate on, or you need the instruction manual. And by the way, it's quite a big instruction manual. Okay? So the breastplate of righteousness has a big instruction manual on how to use it. And that's why, let's think about last, well, two weeks ago, sorry, because I wasn't here last week, why you need to be immersed, surrounded by it. Or you're going to forget how to work it. Look, you need to be in, immersed in the instruction manual because it's an in-depth instruction manual. Okay, you need to be immersed, surrounded. You need to make sure that it's just around you, that you're just in the Word of God because it's a, it's, that's a big instruction manual, isn't it? That's bigger than most instruction manuals out there. I'd probably say all of them, right? That's why, that's why you need that immersion, okay? Or you're going to forget how to work it, okay? Loins girt about with truth. That's what we talked about last week. Now, I remember there was a, an old advert, sorry about this carnal example here, of how the world tries to say it, which was, I think it was, forgive me here, okay? Always, always remember this, yeah? Mr. T, a man with pride don't rely on no guide. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, you've got to disagree with that, really, haven't you? Okay, that might st stick in your head. But pride isn't a good thing, is it? Yeah, pride is, that's the world's idea, a man with pride don't rely on no guide. Yeah, however, <laughs> oh, that's a bad impression, but if I had a mohawk, you might like, you might think it was a bit better, yeah, okay. However, look, look, we're not the world, are we? Yeah, we don't need, we don't need guidance from Mr. T, yeah, we need guidance from the Word of God. And a man without pride does rely on the guide, yeah, and we want to be a man without pride, don't we? Yeah, rely on the guide. And, and this is, and, and, and the thing is with this guide, do you know why it's so long? Because this breastplate is a complex bit of equipment. It is complex. It's not just, you know, well, you just shove it on and then you kind of like the blows will just bounce off. 
now it's got some it's got some extra use to it as well well go back to proverbs 11 now if you're thinking where well, we ever going to go back there i've had my finger there for ages well go back to proverbs 11 where we see that this this isn't just some basic piece of iron okay this isn't just a bit of metal proverbs 11 and we're going to look at verse 5 now because now we're looking at this type of righteousness the type that you can put off and put on it says the righteousness of the perfect proverbs 11 and verse 5 the righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way but the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness so perfect here means complete and by the way you're not complete without your full armor on are you could you be described as the perfect man or the perfect woman that complete person if you didn't have all your armor on no okay part of that armor is the righteousness once you've got it on that breastplate is also a navigation system did you know that that's what it says here the righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way it, it will guide what sort of job you go for won't it there are certain jobs that if you if you've got the breastplate of righteousness on if you're thinking how you should do and you're living righteously and trying to there are a lot of jobs that i've gone through before that you just wouldn't be able to take would you you'd just avoid would you stop would you start working in a nightclub? Is your breastplate of righteousness going to guide you into the nightclub? Oh, so don't worry, I'll do some evangelising in there. You ain't doing no evangelising in there. People come out with this rubbish, yeah? It, you know, and, and you can think of many different jobs. It, it will guide you what sort of church you could go for, wouldn't it? That breastplate of righteousness is going to navigate you into the correct church. Not, it's not going to navigate you into the church where it's like, man, but the beat, <laughs> like we are talking about a couple of weeks ago. But the drum beat's just so cool. It doesn't matter that they preach that you've got to repent of your sins. At least it sounds good. Or at least that church, well, you know, they're short little sermonettes. You get in and out quickly. It's only round the corner from house. I can even still put on a Sunday roast and get back before it's burned. You know, the breastplate of righteousness isn't going to navigate you that way. What to do in your spare time? What sort of hobbies are okay and what's not? What sort of kind of things to, to, that are okay and what? And, and, you know, like I talked about before, what, you know, because there, the world's got its own idea and, and worldly Christianity will tell you what is okay and what isn't, but it's the breastplate of righteousness which will really guide you, won't it? It will guide you around the pitfalls, yeah, won't it? It will guide you. Uh, anyone, uh, anyone ever use that? I know a couple of people do that. Waze sat-nav. It's an advertisement for ways here, yeah? It's, it can be quite cool because it actually tells you because people are, and I think it's a bit dodgy because you're not really meant to be pressing things. Is this still here? And are people like quickly pressing the sat-nav and stuff to kind of help guide other, other users of it. But basically it tells you when there's potholes. It tells you when there's like, like broken down vehicles on the side of the road. It's like broken down vehicle 500 meters ahead. And you're thinking, my Google Maps doesn't tell me this. And then it will say, is this still here? And then people click it or click no. And, Hopefully you don't get arrested and stuff for using a sat-nav while they're driving. But point being that, that it's an effective sat-nav because it warns you of the pitfalls. And the breastplate of righteousness does that as well, doesn't it? But again, you've got to read the manual to make sure that you use it properly, that you work it properly. It's all protection. But when you take it off, it's the opposite. So it's not just, oh, well, I've got the breastplate of righteousness. It'll help at this time. When I take it off, it's kind of, well, we'll see what happens. No, actually, it's the other way around. It says in verse 6 here, the righteousness of the upright shall deliver them. We'll deliver you. We'll protect you. But transgressors shall be taken in their own naughtiness. Now, the breastplate delivers you. It protects you. But if you take it off, you're, you're automatically transgressing, aren't you? So if you're not being righteous, well, you're transgressing. And there's kind of no middle ground. There's no, well, I'm kind of just in between. You either have the armour on or you have it off. Um, 
it, it's protection from the breastplate, or basically you're, you're standing on the front line with your top off going, pick your target. Because really that's what you're doing. If, if you're trying to live for God, you're trying to work for God, you're on the front line, you're trying to do stuff for God, and you, and you take that breastplate off, well, you, you, you're kind of a bit of an easy target. And look, with that, when you go, oh, you know, what sort of target are you talking about here? Look, people will attack you for anything they perceive, anything they think, any chink in their ar- any chink, sorry, in your armour that they think they can find, they want to go for. We're going to talk about that in a minute, how that works, okay? Look, you either have it on or you have it off. So, we've seen the sort of righteousness that Paul's referring to, okay? We've seen that all God's commandments are righteousness, okay? That's pretty clear there. That it guides us, that it protects us, that it's breastplate or nothing, okay? I think, you know, without it, it's transgression, isn't it, okay? Now, before we go into more depth about the real breastplate of righteousness, I want, I want to warn you about, there's this cheap imitation armour out there, okay? You've got to watch out for this stuff. There's like this sort of like the kind of mass-produced sort of Chinese stuff. I don't know, offence to any Chinese people here, just, you know, that's something people can attest to. In my day, it used to be like the Taiwanese, it used to be the really cheap stuff, you know, and it would just break easy and snap easy. It was mass-produced on the cheap sort of stuff. And, and there is this stuff out there. Now, to the untrained eye, it can look legitimate. And some of this stuff looks good, doesn't it? You get some of this mass bolt produced stuff come in and it looks a party thing. There's no differences there, yeah? It looks good. It's, it's often that much more comfortable to wear as well. So you put on this sort of armour and look, man, it feels good. It feels, you probably don't even need that padding underneath. The flesh loves it. There is no need for that undergarment, okay? Your flesh is like, this is comfy. Why on earth am I going to get that breastplate of righteousness when I can get the imitation stuff? But the problem is it's paper thin. Does anyone know what I'm talking about here? It's called the breastplate of self-righteousness. Okay, you've got to watch out for this cheap imitation armour there, the breastplate of self-righteousness. And the breastplate of self-righteousness is, is basically when you're trying to promote your own righteousness. It, oh, it looks shiny. Oh, it's for everyone to see. That breastplate of self-righteousness, that'll catch the eye. Yeah, everyone will go, wow, that stuff looks good. Yeah, that person looks so righteous, but it, it, it doesn't really have any reinforcement to it. Okay, it doesn't really protect you. In fact, it's the opposite. And you've got to be careful that you're not reaching for that. Because many people, there's a tendency to reach for the self-righteousness, to reach for the breastplate of self-righteousness, the, the holier-than-now type behaviour. And look, that's something that, look, all, all people have to watch out for, especially, especially because, look, because there are so few churches, so few Christians, it seems, out there just willing to live for God, that are willing to go out and preach the gospel, that are willing to try and live by the word of God, that it's easy to get puffed up about it. And it's easy to start promoting yourself as being more righteous than you actually are. The, the look at my shiny armour. But here's the thing, the skilled adversary knows that it's really just more like tinfoil. Okay? And our adversary is skilled. And he knows when it's self-righteousness. He knows when it's just for show. He knows when it's just this sort of mock righteousness. And like I said, it does look the part to the untrained eye. Turn to Job 29. It looks good. It looks shiny for, for many, for newer Christians, or for people that don't have an eye for this. They're like, wow, that person's so righteous. Wow, they just, they must have just slipped in that comment by mistake. They must have just, it just... They must just always be mentioning that they never do this, that they always do that, that they would never do this, that all these little comments time and time again, that, that, 
that breastplate of self-righteousness can be deceiving, okay? But we want the real breastplate of righteousness without the pride, without the boasting, without the puffed-up attitude. Now, there are a few areas of righteousness that, that help ensure it's a proper reinforced kind. And, and Job, for me, is a great example of someone with a breastplate of righteousness. Okay? Job 1.1, 1, 1. you have to turn to Job 1. You're turning to Job 29. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. He was complete. He was upright. He feared God and avoided evil. Now, this was, guy wasn't sinless, okay? There, there, is no, there is no sinless man. The only person that's ever been sinless was Jesus Christ. But God said that there was none like him in the earth, okay? So at this point, this guy was perfect. That means complete, yeah? For me, he had the full armor on. He was upright. He feared God. He eschewed evil. And in Job 29, he's sort of reminiscing about how his life had been before it all came crashing down. And he said this in verse 11. When the ear heard me, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw me, it gave witness to me. Because I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless and him that had none to help him. So he helped the needy. He protected them. This guy's just being honest here. He's talking about how things were, okay? It's not that he's puffed up here. Verse 13 says, The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. So he helped the widows too. Why? It says in verse 14, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. So he was clothed in righteousness, yeah, and in a way you could say like putting on the breastplate of righteousness. I was eyes to the blind and feet was I to the lame. I was a father to the poor and the cause which I knew not I searched out. So that righteousness involved helping people in need and that's something that some people could kind of stay away from sometimes, can't they? But it's people in need, not people who are drug addicts and things that just want your money and don't want to work, yeah? It's helping people in need. Now, did that mean that he was weak? Did he just let people walk all over him? It, it was he, oh, well, I was eyes to blind, fit to them, I was a father to the poor, and the cause which I, which, which I knew not, I searched out. So I was, basically, was Job just the world's version of what a Christian should be? Who just kind of lets everyone walk all over him, just goes, oh, well, you know, I just love all false prophets. So just, look at verse 17. I love this verse. And I break the jaws of the wicked and plucked the spoil out of his teeth. He broke the jaws of the wicked. And I don't know if anyone knows much about jaw breaking. Yeah, that's like a, a pretty, that's a bad injury, right? You get your jaw broken. Firstly, you're getting knocked out with that. And secondly, you're in a bad way. I mean, you're, you're going to be have, eating soup for a long time. People often need their jaws wired and things like it's, it's It's a really serious injury, okay? He broke the jaws of the wicked and then he plucked the spoil out of their teeth. That's a pretty, pretty interesting picture there, isn't it? And, um, well, part of righteousness involves righteous judgment, doesn't it? Yeah, part of right. Look, if you're, you're going to be righteous, you need to righteously judge, don't you? Okay, and there are some wicked people that need their jaws breaking. Now, obviously, our, our, our battle here isn't physical. So in case anyone misinterprets me here and says, Brother Ian's telling me we're going to go out and break jaws. No, but we need to break some spiritual jaws, don't we? Yeah, we need to break some spiritual jaws. We need to pluck that food out of their teeth once we break them. Pluck that spoil out of their teeth. 
You don't have to turn it. John 7.24 says, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Yeah, we are told to judge righteous judgment. And Job judged righteous judgment, didn't he? Because he was clothed in righteousness, because he had the breastplate of righteousness. And, and sometimes some spiritual jaws do need breaking, don't they? Sometimes, you know, whether it's someone behind a pulpit, whether when it's out and you're preaching the gospel to someone and they just need, sometimes they, they will eventually sometimes get their spiritual jaw broken. You're just going to crush whatever puffed up pride they had in their own works, in their continued works, in their past works or something else. And sometimes that needs to And sometimes really though here, he's talking about the real wicked, isn't he? He's talking about the wicked. And for me, often when it's talking about the wicked, we're talking about the worst types of people. We're talking about the sons of Belial, reprobates. And he's talking about breaking their jaws and plucking out the spoil with their teeth. And sometimes we break false prophets and we pull people out of the jaws of death, don't we? Yeah, some people, sometimes that's what we do. We, we break them and sometimes, you know, like we talked about, it's happened before, obviously, in this church with people inside the church where you spiritually break their jaws and pull people out who are getting swallowed up by them. And other times it's people out there, you're breaking the jaws of some wicked false prophet when you preach the truth on them and you're pulling people out, the people that want to listen, right? And that's part of righteousness, isn't it? And righteousness look it's it's not just about avoiding obvious sins okay and i think sometimes people get a bit confused They're like right the breastplate of righteousness i've just got to kind of pick and choose sins that i know i can avoid and make sure i avoid them and everything else it's a whole mentality okay righteousness putting on the breastplate of righteousness is a mentality it helps us to judge situations to then make the correct decisions and then avoid poor ones that lead us open to attack. So if you have your mentality right, and you're putting on that breastplate of righteousness, and you want to, you want to, and you're trying to live righteously, then you're going to avoid those situations, avoid those poor decisions, which then lead you open to slander, to attack, you know, the so-called Christian, but won't even help someone out. You know, if you've got righteousness on, then you are going to help people in need, aren't you? Or, you know, or the opposite, what a bad steward giving money to some work-shy scrounger. It's the opposite one, isn't it? So-called steward, so-called so Christian, he's giving money to drug addicts, who literally, the second you give it to them, are just running off to their local dealer. Oh, but they were sitting on a street corner. I mean, it's just so bizarre, this, this worldly, so-called latest, you know, you know, kind of popular charity, isn't it? Of feeding drug addicts and alcoholics. Drugs and alcohol, because ultimately, a lot of the time, it's not actually giving them any food or anything. But our enemy is looking for anything to accuse us of, okay? And, and I, I kind of hinted at this earlier. Okay, you've got to understand this, okay? It, it, when you're on the front line, when you're living for God, the enemy is looking for something to accuse you of, okay? He's trying to find something. It says in Revelation 12.10, uh, you don't have to turn there. It says in Revelation 12.10, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And do you know what he's accusing us of day and night? Unrighteousness in one way or another. That's what he's accusing you of. Day and night, he's like, well, he did this and she did that and he acted like this and she acted like that. His children, and a lot, I've experienced this, yeah, and in... in a fairly big way and you will have all done to some degree or another his children the devil's children are probing for unrighteousness 
They're probing you. They're asking you questions. They want to try and get something out of you. They're trying to entice you to, to show some level of unrighteousness to then attack you with, to then slander you with, to take a little half-truth and turn it into a big dim, turn it into a big lie. They'll do it through your family. They'll try and probe your children for information and stuff. And, and look, the more you live for God, the more everyone will be experiencing stuff like that from time to time. People want to find stuff on you. They want to probe. They want to find stuff. They want to try and get stuff to then try and destroy you with unrighteousness. That's what he's doing. He's accusing you day and night. And his, and, and his devils are doing the same. So go back to Job 27. We're going to sin, okay? That's inevitable. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Okay? There, there, there isn't. However, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Are you planning to sin? Are you? Are you? Are you like Job who said this in Job 27 and verse 1? It says, Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, As God liveth, who taketh away my judgment, and the Almighty who hath vexed my soul, all the while my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. Okay, he said, my lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. Was Job perfect? No. Was Job sinless? No. But he wasn't plotting and planning when it's okay to lie. He wasn't plotting and planning when it's okay to be a bit deceptive. Well, is that okay because, you know, at least I could get away with this. He wasn't plotting and planning when it's okay to sin, when he can sin when other people maybe from church aren't going to know about it. Where maybe the kids ain't going to notice, where maybe whoever it is, yeah? That's not what he was doing. He was saying, my lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. He said in verse 5, God forbid that I should justify you till I die. I will not remove mine integrity from me. I love that verse, yeah? That's such a strong verse, isn't it? What a motto. Imagine if everyone in this room... Everyone here, everyone in this church had that motto and just said, till I die, I will not remove my integrity from me. What a great way of living that would be, wouldn't it? Not, oh, until I die, I'll kind of, well, I'll only remove it when, I, when it kind of, you know, when I need to, when no one's looking, when no one's watching. I'll only remove it when I think I can get away with it. How about, how about till I die, I will not remove my integrity from me? That'd be, that'd be a great way of living, wouldn't it? That should be, that, that's the way that we should all be planning to live. He said, my righteousness I hold fast. That means he clings hold. He keeps that breastplate on him like this. It's not coming off. And will not let it go. Okay, will he let it go sometimes? Maybe he does. Maybe he did now and again. But he's saying, I will not. Yeah, his, his goal, his aim, his, he's saying, I'm going to cling hold of it. I will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. So he's holding on to that breastplate like his life depends on it. And by the way, that was what was left of his life. And if anyone knows the story of Job, he didn't really have much of a life left. He literally just had all his children killed. His, everything he had gone. He was sitting in sackcloth and ashes, covered head to toe in boils, with his friends trying to tell him it must be your fault. His wife said, curse God and die. And he's sitting there going, I will not remove my integrity from me. I cling hold of my righteousness. Oh, that's a great example, isn't it? And what is it? Well, it's, look, what comes out of his mouth? Honesty, integrity. That all seemed to be a big part of righteousness, didn't it? What, what, what comes out of your mouth? Is, it, is what's coming out of your mouth righteousness 
Or is it, well, a little lie here, just a little bit of deceit there, little excuse there to get me out of that, little white lie here and there. That, that's not the breastplate of righteousness, is it? He said, till I die, I will not remove mine integrity from me. He said, my lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. And that, if everyone just had that goal, if everyone went away from this sermon going, right, breastplate of righteousness. Yeah, I know some, some of this stuff's going to be hard. I know that, look, I need to immerse myself more in the word of God. I don't even know what God thinks I should do in this situation or that situation. But I tell you what, I won't lie though. I won't utter deceit. I won't, I won't try and manipulate people. I won't try and sneak around. I won't try and do deceptive little things to people in certain situations. I will not. I will not. My lips will not speak guile. My lips are not going to utter deceit. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to live right. I'm going to live how God wants me to live. I'm going to do my best to live like that. What, what, what difference that would make to everyone's life, yeah? And, that, and, and you know what? You have to live like that. If you're going to live for God, you're going to work for God, you're going to fight for God, you're going to be on the front line, you have a target on you, and you need that breastplate on, you need a cling hold of it, you need to keep it tight to you. Proverbs 12, 17 says, He that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness deceit. He that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness deceit. And by the way, notice how it's his heart that he's protecting. Verse 6 says, my righteousness I hold fast, this is in Job 27, and will not let it go, my heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. You see that breastplate there, can't you? He's holding hold of that righteousness, he doesn't want his heart to reproach him. You think about it, it's almost like he's, he's kind of stopping his heart betraying him. His heart basically deceiving him, his heart being the problem. And that comes from keeping that breastplate, keeping that righteousness, keeping that integrity, keeping that honesty. Turn to Proverbs chapter 4. Where's righteousness? The commandments, the words, the sayings. It's all in your, it's all in your King James Bible. It's all there. The righteousness is there. Proverbs 4.20 says this. It says, Proverbs 4.20, My son... Attend to my words, incline thine ears unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. How do you keep your heart? Well, try putting a breastplate over it. Hold fast to your righteousness. Don't let it go. Yeah, make that your goal. Look, you're going you're gonna to make mistakes. You're going to sin now and again. But you just keep it tight. You keep it, hold, you hold fast to it. You say, no, I'm not. What comes out of my mouth is important. And sometimes, look, look, the truth is, yeah, depending on different people have different things they struggle with, there'll be things that come out of your mouth and maybe it'll be like a prideful thing. Maybe some people are just inclined to maybe lie to excuse something or maybe to get out of something. You know, you can't, you can't stop and just go, no, sorry, that was wrong. Sorry, that, that actually, no, that, you, you can stop. You can stop. You know, if you're trying to live right, you're living by the word, you're reading the word of God, you're trying to cling hold of it. You know when you're, when you're messing up, don't you? When you're immersed in it, when you're surrounded by it, you know. And you can correct. And the more you correct, the more you make things right, the more you've just got that righteousness wrapped around you. And the less attack you're going to get and the less open you're going to be to that attack. He said here, he said, 
Put away, this is verse 24, put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. Let, look, he wouldn't tell you to do that if you couldn't do it. You can do it. Let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. You say, I'm trying, brother Ian. Yeah, but how hard are you trying? People go, oh, I'm trying, but are you really trying? Are you really just pleading with God and saying, please, just help. I just want to live right. I just want to live out, no matter what. Thy will be done, Lord. I just want to live how you want. Not, well, in this instance, I want to, but maybe not in this part of my life. Maybe not in this situation, because this is a bit awkward. This bit's a bit embarrassing. This bit will be a bit uncomfortable around the, my buddies at work. This bit, well, I don't know, because, you know, my family will take offence to that bit. How about you say, look, Lord, I, I want to live for you. He's saying, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to put away from me a froward mouth, perverse lips. My eyes are going to look right on. My eyelids are going to look straight before me. I'm going to ponder the path of my feet. And, and I want all my ways to be established. I'm not going to turn to the right hand or to the left. I'm going to remove my foot from evil. He said, till I die, I will not remove my integrity from me. Are you holding that breastplate fast and not letting it go? Matthew 5, 6, don't know if, you don't have to turn there, says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, obviously, look, there's, there's an eternal sort of, uh, whatever you want to call it, fulfilling of that verse, yeah. But do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Or do you hunger and thirst after whatever sin it is that you kind of, that you have a little penchant for? Is it that you hunger and thirst after certain parts of it, but other parts don't? No, do we just hunger and thirst after righteousness? And when you do that, you, you have it. He's given it to you. He wants you to put it on. Okay, for some though, for some, it can be a bit of an inc inconvenience, can't it? That breastplate can chafe a little bit sometimes. It can be a bit uncomfortable at certain times in our life. It can be a bit of a heavy burden, especially when it's that, that iron that iron uh, cuirass, they call it. Sometimes it doesn't go with your evening outfit, does it? You know? Sometimes it goes with your daytime outfit, but it doesn't quite go with your evening outfit. Look, sadly, evenings are a lot of the time when people battle hardest against those easy sins, those sins which, that sin which does so easily beset us, yeah? And, and so many, it's evenings are the hard time, isn't it? And you've got to have it on the whole time. The truth is, you, you've got to go to bed in it. You've got to sleep in it. And sometimes it will be a bit uncomfortable. Sometimes it is gonna, it is gonna be a bit restrictive. Sometimes it's not gonna always feel the best, but you know what's funny about it is with all of that, you know what it does do? That, that, that iron cuirass that you cling to, it does make you have a really good night's sleep. You know that? That you can be wrapped up in some iron breastplate and you can sleep sounder than, than anyone else, you know? And, uh, it's a funny little anomaly about it with that. But you've got to want it. You've got to, you've got to want it. Turn to Psalm 106. You've got to eat, drink, and sleep in your armour, okay? This battle is real, okay? And, and, and look, we're, we're not part-time soldiers. You're not Sunday, Sunday soldiers. Okay? You know, they've they got the old TA, yeah? Anyone heard of the Territorial Army, yeah? And, and they used to get mocked by, like, the, the full-time army. It'd be, like, part-time soldiers and all of this stuff, yeah? Like, part-time they call them part-time warriors and things like this yeah well you're not a part-time warrior here 
okay? You're, you're full-time. It's not just Sundays, it's not just Wednesday evenings, it's not just when you're soul winning, it's not just when you're around other Christians, okay? It's, it's, it's full-time, it's full-time. Psalm 106 and verse 3 says, Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that doeth righteousness sometimes, a bit of the time, no, at all times. Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that doeth righteousness at all times. And, and look, for the breastplate of righteousness, to cling to it, to have it, to have it around you, to have it just holding tight, you've got to want that at all times. You've got, that has to be your goal, that has to be your mentality. The breastplate of righteousness, it's not a list of rules. And I think so many people get this part wrong. They're just like, right, I've got to, you know, just read more and do this. But the whole time they're trying to almost puff themselves up and build themselves up. No, it's a mentality. What's your mentality? Is your mentality to try and live right, to live for God? Or is it to put yourself above someone else? Is it to, you know, to try and prove something to someone else? Is it to, to, to just show people when you're in front of them? Or is it... Look, God, I want to. I want to live for you. I want to live how you want me to live. That, it's a mentality, and and part of that is integrity, isn't it? And that's a big part of it. Um, the breastplate of righteousness. That that was part number two of the whole armor of God. We've had loins girt about with truth. We had the belt, and now we've had the breastplate. And um, on that, we're going to pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for your well, your armor, Lord. The the armor that you you freely give us the armor that that you know we have to choose to put on but you make it clear what that armor is lord and um, i thank you that you make it clear what that righteousness is that it comes from the word of god that it comes from all your commandments but you know to be able to do that to be able to do that effectively well we need to get our mentalities right lord we need to to want to serve you we need to want want to be right we need to want to have that armor on we need to want to have it on for the right reasons lord not to lord it over others, but so that we can just, just defend ourselves to be able to then serve you more effectively. We know that people want to bring us down. We know that, that you, know, we, we, you know, we wrestle against principalities and powers. We wrestle against the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, Lord. We, we know that it's a hard spiritual battle, but you give us what we need to be able to stand. And having done all to stand, please help us to do that, Lord. Help us to do that this week. Um, Going, going into the week, you know, in our place of work, in our, in our home life, in our family life, Lord, and help us to, to also get out there and, and continue to battle for you, whether, whether that's, our, you know, our set soul winning times or at least make it back here on a Wednesday evening, Lord, to, to, to worship and praise you and uh, get built up to, to just be sent out and preach your gospel. Um, help everyone here with all their individual problems, Lord, and um, help everyone to, to just, just try and be more like you, Lord. And um, help us get home safely. Help us get back here for another day in your house on Wednesday or if not Sunday. Jesus' name for all of this. Amen.